Blog Talk Radio. Legacy of the Goddess, 
heroines, warriors, and uh, warriors and witches from world mythology to folk tales and fairy tales, and the ecological heroes of American mythology. Uh, lots of good stuff, and um, I know you probably won't remember those titles, but if you go to my website, karentate.net, and look up the podcast, uh, I believe I have put them there, or we'll have to ask Rachel. Maybe they're all available on Amazon, and you just have to put in her name, Rachel McCopin, M-C-C-O-P-P-I-N. So, um I'm going to stop yammering about uh, housekeeping stuff and uh, jump right in because it's a big topic and we want to make sure we cover as much as we can. So, Rachel, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me uh, be a part of this show. It is truly an honor for me. Um, and uh, just to sort of answer that uh, question I kind of posed to myself, uh, all of your other books that I just mentioned, are they all available on Amazon? Yes, you were right. They are available. <laughs> they are available on Amazon. Okay, okay. I mean, as much as we hate it, what would we do without it, right? No. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so Rachel, let's just kind of start at the beginning. And um, for folks out there that, you know, maybe they're scratching their head and this is a topic they hadn't considered, um, tell us, you know, maybe a little bit more specifically what the book is generally about. Uh, yeah, so my book looks, basically at historical belief systems uh, around the world that revered goddesses in powerful and, you know, sometimes even in supreme roles, showing that when goddesses were worshipped within many communities throughout history, women were often permitted to hold uh, high-standing social positions, such as sometimes priestesses, warriors, or leaders. Uh, when these communities demoted or lost their reverence for formidable goddesses in place of a heightened worship of male deities uh, and or male spirituality um, through historical moments of conquest or diffusion or colonization, etc., then this book shows that many women actually lost uh, their elevated social and religious positions. So is, I, I guess uh, we, uh, you know, can say that it, it's a psychological connection that, uh, you know, maybe we make in the unconscious. Is it, uh, you know, this idea of the archetype or role model when it's not there, then we can't imagine it in society? Is that kind of how this works? I mean, I think, you know, if we think through the topic and we think through historically, like, why is this happening? I think that makes a lot of sense. Psychologically, if we're not envisioning, if women are envisioning themselves in this highest spiritual conception, you know, divinity, then it's easier, I think, for women to... Um, view themselves perhaps in a subservient role. But I think also socially um, it just becomes more acceptable if the highest role imaginable to humanity, that of divinity, is imagined as a place only for males, then it makes it easier, I think, for society as a whole to imagine leaders um, whether they are religious leaders, social, political leaders, um, to imagine those roles as belonging to men as well. Well, and and uh, you know, we can't make, uh, can't help but make the connection um, where it kind of feels like here Christianity is running roughshod over the country with recent Supreme Court rulings. Um, that, uh, you know, maybe that's a reason why, uh, you know, here in the Western world, we're one of, you know, one of the countries that's never had a female president and have only in this less, you know, Biden term got a female vice president. You know, women here, too many, uh, mm, they don't see themselves or women in general 
um, in those roles as leader. Very well said. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. You know, um, it's important to point out, yeah, in the United States that we have not had a female president. And um, although we have them, political and social leaders um, are still few and far between. Um, and we have to begin to ask ourselves, why is that? Uh, and this book yeah. briefly, it it mainly focuses on historical cultures where we see this pattern, but I hope that it definitely invites that question of are we where we are right now because of, you know, what has happened in our past and um, what we have forgotten about our own uh, history in regards to, you know, a, a different a different path uh, for goddess studies. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, uh, maybe maybe listeners have and maybe they haven't, you know, learned in school that mythology shapes our culture. So when our, and again, one person's mythology is another person's religion. So, you know, we're kind of using those words interchangeably. Um, so if your society is one like I grew up in, I grew up a Catholic in the Bible Belt, uh, you were taught that there was God at the top, a male God, of course. And, uh, you know, even though Mary was good enough to birth Jesus, you know, they never elevated her to goddess status. And then under there you have men who listen and hear God and speak to God. And then there's then then there's everything else and everybody else. You know, there's the planet and the species and the and women and we're all sort of commodities to serve the two at the top. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, Carol Christ writes about it in her What Women Need the Goddess. When we grow up in that kind of culture, uh, women just automatically devalue themselves, have low self-esteem. So your book is really important, um, I think, pointing out this, uh, you know, this, you know, psychological phenomena, if we want to call it, historical phenomena that, um you know, this is this is still affecting uh, women today. Absolutely, absolutely, it is still affecting women today. Really, I I argue all over the world, um, and it helped. Yeah. Part of why I wrote the book, it helps to to just know that it really wasn't always that way. You know, that Christianity, um, in the scope of human existence, is not. Um, was not around all that long. <laughs> you know, there, there's so much more history out there. There's so many more belief systems that identify powerful goddesses out there um, that just offer alternatives. You know, they offered the alternatives in historical times, and perhaps they offer an alternative today. Well, then, I don't know. I have another theory, too, about why Americans are so backward on this, and I love your uh, your ideas or opinion and even disagreement. You know, we're so isolated here in North America with two oceans on either side of us. I think the last time I looked to see the statistics of how many Americans actually had a passport, I think it was 15%. And, you know, when you live somewhere where you don't have these rich archaeological sites where in these wonderful museums like the Louvre and the British Museum, you don't know about the Venus of Willendorf and these artifacts right. that are 40 and 50,000 years old that depict worship of the feminine long before a male god, right? That is so absolutely right. Um, I have been fortunate enough to do quite a bit of traveling. Um, and... You know, I didn't do it until I was older, um, and I think that really struck me in a powerful way that when you do travel, there's this there's this physical or concrete evidence, right, of a history that is so different from the one that we are used to in America. You know, um, the history I think that we are taught in America begins, sadly, um, often with European um, contact here in the Americas. And um, and that's really just not the case when you go to so many other cultures. There's a long and varied history. There's evidence, archaeological evidence, of um, a long history of, for instance, goddess worship. You know, it, it's hard to ignore that 
it's hard to ignore that so many other cultures envision divinity in a different way than what mainstream American society then currently envisions divinity. Um, and if you go, for instance, to some of these, you know, museums abroad, very often your guides there are, are so open and willing to talk about all of these other belief systems and how they evolved, you know, and how, um, again, for instance, goddesses were demoted and, and what effect that had on um, these various cultures and how it led to, you know, the three dominant um, monotheistic religions um, uh, around the world today. So um, let me, a, a two-prong question. I want to find out how far back you go, where do you start, and do mm-hmm. you also talk about the rise of patriarchy and how we lost goddess and our female deities? Yes. Um, well, it's a, I'm, a, I'm kind of a broad thinker, <laughs> so the book is definitely tackled that way. It is a broad book. It's broken down in a broad way um, of focusing primarily on global regions. Um, I focus on Europe in a chapter, the Middle East, the Mediterranean, India, Asia, Africa, and the Americas and Oceania. Um, so that's a lot. <laughs> you know, that's a lot to do in a fairly short book. Um, and I do briefly cover, or I try to cover in each of these regions, these global regions, I try to start as early as our archaeological and sometimes mythic record will allow. So sometimes I go as far back as the Paleolithic period. Brief, you know, and I do also within each of these cultures try to touch upon contemporary society. What legacy? Where are we now in these cultures because of what has happened historically? Okay, and um, so uh, just off the top of your head, do you remember what you know what the oldest um, deity you mention in the book is? If you know from Paleolithic times, was it one of the Venuses? It definitely is. Yeah, Um, I start the book looking. uh, My first chapter is actually on Europe, so there is a pretty good. I mean, there's a good record of. the Venus figurines that you mentioned coming out of the upper Paleolithic period. Um, And, you know, the book does look at, um, though there is some contention in this area among scholars, it does look uh, at this overwhelming evidence of so many of these Venus figurines being found in so many different regions of Europe and elsewhere. Um, So it does, really look towards a lot of scholarship that talks about uh, there seems to be this perhaps worship of a great mother or a mother goddess, you know, Um, and we don't know her name, you know, we're not entirely sure if the cultures even did revere this figure uh, um, in, you know, uh, a way that is similar throughout all of these cultures, but you know, there is evidence still that there is this this dominant belief in a great mother or a mother goddess who is the land itself throughout so many cultures in Europe. Um, she is this unified force. All life that is born comes from this great mother. And after death, all beings, all living beings will go back into the womb of this great mother that is, you know, the earth itself. So I did look at that. And, and, um, you know, in the way I learned it, and then by association, women who could bleed without dying, which was looked at as very magical and powerful, who could give birth, uh, because, you know, back then they didn't know the role men played in procreation, um, then women by association as the life givers, uh, you know, these magical beings, uh, you know, that the vessels of our bodies that were, you know, we could nourish children like the earth nourishes us, then we by association were considered elevated. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and we really do see that in so many cultures around the world that um, 
it is this apparently or seemingly mystical ability of women um, to mimic the cycles of this great mother, right? So women are clear associations of this human conception um, of what nature is, of this great mother. And so naturally there is a lot of scholarship that is showing that women held uh, high-ranking positions um, as representations of this conception of a great mother. It's a natural yeah. um, place, you know, for women to serve. And um, I don't know, do you think we not hear about this? Do you think we not learn in school, you know, this is beginning, um, do you think it's a religious bias of the patriarchal religions that kind of has its boot on the neck of so many of us? Or is it the male-dominated academia? Um, or, you know, maybe just what this represents, you know, in society itself, that we would need such a rethink. And, um, you know, maybe for some people that would, that would have really upset their apple cart. I mean, why is there such pushback to make this um, a primary topic that every, lear- every person learns about, you know, in school? You know, um, and it's a hard, hard question to answer. It certainly is a question that, that comes with a lot of history. Um, you know, it depends on the culture when you begin to see uh, you asked earlier, do I mention the birthing of patriarchy in the book? And I definitely do. You know, it's, it's when does patriarchy come to different regions and why does it come, I think, is a central question that we do need to be taught. Um, I think we need to be taught all of the history. We need to be taught, even if we're not entirely sure, um, we need to be taught that perhaps there were central goddesses um, unified, perhaps, conceptions of goddesses in many cultures. And we need to also learn about what happened. Um, why were these goddesses demoted? We need to learn um, about how exactly they were demoted. The book talks a lot about once patriarchy begins to emerge in different cultures, there are so many tactics that are used specifically in the mythology of these cultures. And I really love that you pointed out one person's religion that, you know, often mythology is the religious uh, stories, the belief systems of a people. So it's important to look at the mythological record and see that there really were many tactics used to demote um, goddesses from their primary role. Sometimes goddesses were like married off to lesser gods and that would lessen the power of the once, you know, supreme goddess, while it also would elevate the power of the god. We have myths that show goddesses um, being brutally murdered by lesser male gods so that the male god clearly in the mythic record takes all of her power for himself. We have myths that show lesser gods raping, you know, their own mothers to secure their power. Um, So as a society, if we can just read that stuff, if we can just know that those religious, for those people, those religious texts exist, and they really show again and again and again this record of taking away the power of curing it in the hands of a male god. And while we have that, we also have, well, mythic women, right, so women in myths that are losing social status, but again, if we look at the historical record, we see, we definitely see women losing their high-standing social roles. They're no longer religious leaders. They lose that position of priestess, um, uh, and when they lose that, then, you know, the society, I believe, is often firmly patriarchal, Um, so it helps helps to just know that history I think on an individual level perhaps do we have to start there Um, but it does I believe it does need to be taught in our schools it does need to be a mainstream topic because it's 
it's a big topic. There's a lot out there. There is a lot of archaeological evidence, and there's a lot of evidence in the mythic record um, that I think will appall people. It will make women angry. It will teach them that, again, that there are alternatives out there than what we are currently taught. Right. And and just to piggyback one more thing on top of what you said, then we even get into where male gods are taking over the birthing role of the female. Uh, like in the yeah. case of um, Athena is birthed from yeah. Zeus's head and Metis, her yeah. mother, plays no role in her birth. And how is she birthed? One. She's birthed yeah. clad with um, uh, armor uh, as a warrior. You know, and not that yeah. women shouldn't be warriors, but that says something too. You know how a lot of these goddesses, powerful goddesses, were just turned into figures for men's domination uh, and war. Um, yeah, this is this is really important stuff. And for people, you know, again, you know, just to take a second here and punctuate this, you know, yes, this is history, but why does it matter today? Because look at some of the things that are happening out in society today. You take knowledge away from people. They don't learn this stuff. If they don't learn this stuff, they think the world is always as maybe they've been taught when it really wasn't. Look at how books are being banned. Uh, look at how women's studies and um, you know critical race theory so that people don't know the real history of slavery is being taken away. This is a strategy. This is not by accident. You know, these things happen to deny people knowledge because knowledge is power. And um, I think about Heidi Gottner Abendroth, who wrote the book on matriarchal societies. Um, you know, she talks about the pushback she gets. And I think one of the reasons there's this pushback, there's this attempt to you know, sweep this all under the rug, is because it could challenge the status quo. It would challenge this dominator culture that we live in. It would challenge predator capitalism because you look at the Minoan culture. We think, you know, their structure was different. And so people can't say, oh, well, it's always been this way. There's nothing else. Uh, capitalism is the best. Uh, don't, you know, look away, look away. You know, there's, there's, you know, no other ways humans have ever lived. When in fact, uh, you know, maybe we look at Chateau Hayuk and we see that, um, it, you know, resources seem to have been dispersed more evenly. Uh, people all lived in the same size houses. There was this wealth gap um, I don't know am, am I just ranting Rachel or is there some validity to what I'm saying no you are doing an awesome job <laughs> first of all I'm very inspired uh, by your wealth of knowledge bringing up um, um, ancient Crete uh, and Minoan civilization and also ancient um, Anatolia absolutely right we do have so many other models and the book addresses these models again in um, the major global regions of the world. We have so many models, right, that show us that it was not always as it currently is. Um, and that, I think, is truly something, just to know that, I think, is truly something that is inspiring. And it is something that women, regardless of what religious belief they want to adopt um, or maintain, it's just knowing that historical record is very important, that, that we have so many different civilizations that were structured differently, and can we begin to ask questions if they are, uh, you know, maybe governed uh, by a central, perhaps supreme goddess even, do we see less warfare? There's a lot of scholars that have said absolutely we do. We're not finding um, art artistic portrayals that are showing warfare. We don't see these great barriers around these, you know, Neolithic civilizations. So um, if we have civilizations that are uh, valuing very powerful goddesses, maybe they are different social structures. Um, and that's an important question to ask. And it, it has to lead us into questioning our own social structures today. Where has all of this history left us? Um, so, yes, I mean, I think 
exactly uh, like you said, knowledge is power, and I think that's a vital place to begin. Let's just learn about what these other civilizations believed in. What did they embrace, and how did it make them different? How did it perhaps in some ways make it uh, make them better? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, and that's why I've been talking about this for 30 years. Um, you know, when I moved from the Bible Belt and found the sacred feminine and uncovered all of this, I was pretty angry, <laughs> you know, that exactly. for 30 years of my life um, I didn't know any of this, and uh, I went on a tear for a really long time about why. You know, why did, you know, why was this knowledge kept from us? Why is it demonized? Why do they want to call goddess figurines, you know, ancient Barbie dolls, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I ended up traveling to a lot of these sacred places. I wrote uh, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. And, you know, when right. you actually go stand in these places and you See that a culture revered um, a female deity for thousands of years, um, it really makes an impression on you. And, you know, we think about uh, the Eleusinian mysteries where they worship Demeter and Persephone for thousands of, thousands of years, you know. Yeah. And, and what do we learn about the, the Greek goddesses when we're in school? You know, they, we're taught that they are basically insignificant. They're, they're yeah. you know, we're taught about them in such a way they're so boring that we just can't, our eyes glaze over. You know, we're not taught you know, we're not taught the significance culturally, uh, socially, religiously. Um, anyway, I, it just, it still makes me mad. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm mad too. You know, that's really why I wrote the book. I am very mad too. I think it is something, you know, I'm the mother of two children and it is shocking as I revisit, I guess, what, what, we are taught in school in the United States, it is very shocking that it is so um, still Western focused. It is um, monotheistic for sure. Um, and it is, it is something that is shocking. It should, I think, make women angry. It should make everyone angry um, that we do not see balance out there. Um, we don't see balance in the religious sphere in the sphere, in the spiritual sphere or in the social sphere. Um, and yeah. just because I love it so much, I'm going to bring up again the Greek mythology that you're touching upon. You know, every not everyone, but most people do know a little bit at least about Greek mythology. Um, and I would invite people to look again at what you know about Greek mythology because um, just because of historical circumstance, the Greeks have captured their mythology within their own language right for the most like we don't always have that in many other cultures often the mythology that is captured is captured after um, Christianity uh, comes to a region or the region is colonized so the mythology um, uh, gets changed quite a bit from its original intent and this is probably true with Greek mythology as well because there's a lot of history there but if you really look through Greek mythology, you will become outraged. I mean, I'm, I love that you brought up Athena. Athena is birthed directly from her father. And in the mystic tradition, she's little more than the spokesperson of Zeus at all times. Um, she talks about, in a famous play, the Eumenides, she actually talks about how in Greek society, um, everyone needs to start um, you know, conceptualizing that women come from the male line, right? They no longer are coming from their mothers. They come from their fathers. And so, you know, Athena actually says in this play that the, the mother's line is insignificant. It is the father's line that we all should be um, embracing. And she says this stuff in a play because there's a history where this was not always the case in Greece. And the play is written to change people's minds you know, to look away from this more powerful history that did once exist. We have characters like Medusa in Greek mythology. There's a lot of scholarship that says Medusa was a central, perhaps mother goddess at one time. Um, but by the time we see her in Greek mythology, she's just this snake-ridden monster, and we need this, this hero, this male hero who's barely a hero because he gets all of his weapons from male gods, and he easily... Kills Medusa. 
we have lots of myths that show like Greek women um, being assaulted, angry at their position, fighting back. Think of the Amazons in Greek mythology. Um, Greek mythology just so, shows us this historical record of patriarchy having to invent stories to change people's minds um, about this older goddess worship. And it, it documents that record of it was a hard and long journey to change people's minds. And women fought back and remained powerful in some instances. Um, but it, it just provides us so much evidence. So, again, relook or rethink about at least those Greek myths that you think you know. What roles are women playing? Um, and how are they being yeah. treated? And what are overpowered? Who's overpowering them? <laughs> you know, that's important stuff right. to ask for sure. And why? Why? I mean, exactly. and we know later in, you know, Christianity, uh, I think it was Tertullian, one of the, you know, the Christian fathers, uh, relegated women to be no more than an incubator for the, for the male seed. You know, right. um, you know, we, we have these horrible, you know, this, this um, you know, gradual, uh, uh, you know, um, marginalization of women and uh, in, in the myths, you know, you, you know, you have Pandora, uh, you know, with how she opens her box and, you know, out of her box comes all the ills of society. Well, it was written that way for a reason, to demonize women, you know. Um, and and all of all of these other stories. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, um, and we see it in cultures around the world. You know, it's we're so familiar with Greek mythology, and, and um, Greek civilization has a long history that led it to become what it is. We have invaders coming to Greece, um, and it makes it worse and worse. You know, with with the different invasions that are coming. Um, but it is, you know, it's ultimately um, Christianity or the monotheistic faiths that are coming into different regions that often spells the absolute end of goddesses. You know, we have a lot of cultures that still revered goddesses for a long time. We have a lot of cultures uh, that still revere goddesses, but they're lesser goddesses often. Um, you mentioned Athena, but think about Aphrodite. She's kind of a joke. Right. And she's all about lust. Um, she's a you know, Rachel, let's, yes. let, yes. let, hang on, hang on. Um, I need to take a break for a commercial. I'm, I'm a few minutes late here. But I want to come back and talk about all of that. So, um, yes. you know, take a pause. Don't lose your train of thought. Uh, but first, <laughs> uh, we have to hear from Joe Carson. This is from Jonathan Nightshade a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book-quality hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Oh, 
Well, I am speaking to Rachel McCopin, and we're talking about her book, uh, Goddess Lost, How the Downfall of Female Deities Degraded Women's Status in World Cultures. And uh, Rachel, let's get back to where we left off, because this is such an important topic. Um, you were talking about how Aphrodite had uh, had been marginalized until she's almost a joke. Um, please go ahead. Yeah, we really do see this trend in a lot of mythological traditions around the world that, you know, we can say there are still places around the world that might worship goddesses or places that worshiped goddesses um, long after patriarchy arrived, um, to put it in broad terms. But we have to, again, be really careful about um, how these goddesses are presented in a patriarchal mythic tradition. Aphrodite is you know, yes, she's a goddess, but she's not realistic uh, whatsoever. She, her myths portray her as an object of lust. She's an, a sexual object. Hera in Greek mythology, it's kind of the same thing. She's sometimes powerful, but more often she's just really focused on Zeus and is very jealous at all of the um, affairs that Zeus is having. And we see that in a lot of different cultures as well. Um, in Hinduism, uh, there is, again, um, throughout India, a long history uh, of mother goddess worship. India is called Mother India for a reason. Um, and a lot of traditions believed and continue to believe that um, all of the minor goddesses at one time and still in some sects of Hinduism, all of the goddesses are connected as one united mother goddess. But we still in the mythic tradition, we have lesser goddesses who seem highly patriarchal. Um, uh, Saraswati, for instance, or Lakshmi, or Parvati. Um, they are often presented with their um, male matches, and they often are presented in this way that, that shows them as acceptable female characters in a patriarchal society. So it helps when we're looking at um, Hindu texts, for example, um, or Greek texts, like I mentioned uh, earlier. It helps to really question what we're seeing and look for goddesses who don't appear as this, like, model patriarchal example. In Hinduism, we have, um, for instance, goddesses like Durga, uh, who is believed to be very old, a very old mother goddess. We have Kali, and also she's considered to be very old. These goddesses are warrior goddesses in a way that's, I think, different than Athena, in that the male gods will sometimes call on these really old goddesses to save them in times of need. Um, so we have to see that even though patriarchal structures may have come into a region, we still have a lot of contention. We still have people maybe wanting to embrace these old beliefs, and they're writing about some, I mean, and sometimes it's few and far between, but they are still documenting that there were much more powerful goddesses than goddesses like Aphrodite, right? There are goddesses mm -hmm. who look a lot like an older type of goddess that I think um, there's a lot of scholarship that Indian women are still very inspired in their efforts towards freedom today. They're inspired most by Durga and by Kali because they look um, like women really are, right? Like what they want to be. And so they are models that inspire. They are not these patriarchal creations that, you know, spread this patriarchal type of um, mythic or yeah. belief. Yeah, I mean, I think patriarchy allows women to have these benign goddesses, you know, um, if yeah. they're, um, you know, and I'm going to be reading a piece in a few minutes that, uh, points to this a bit, but um, like I've said before, you know, they allow us to have Kuan Yin, you know, uh, because, you know, they think of Kuan Yin as, you know, she's just about pouring out her compassion, or that's, you know, yes. the aspect we learn about, um, or Mary, you know, um, and then they'll demonize Lilith, they'll demonize Eve. Uh, so patriarchy allows us to have the subservient female, the benign yes. female that doesn't kick up the, you know, kick up anything, uh, who just goes along and uh, lets, 
you know, men and the male god do, uh, you know, in, uh, whatever they want, you know, to uh, decipher, you know, sacred texts and ways that uh, that benefit them. I mean, this is all political, you know, and yeah. it, it gets couched as spiritual, but it really is all yeah. political about power and control. Yes. Again, well said. <laughs> it is. And it's a very, very old um, tactic that is used, you know, uh, it just is, you know, we have a lot of record out there. And again, it is mythology, but it is, there still is substantial, you know, evidence as with all literature of what people are really feeling and what they're really thinking. And a lot of mythology is very, very political, right? Like, especially the myth where you have this male younger God just brutally murdering his own mother so that he can take over her power. It's clearly um, propaganda. <laughs> but we also have mm-hmm. myths of confusion, right? We have a lot of myths that are just uncertain. Am I really going to cast Aphrodite in this silly light, you know? Or sometimes she will sneak out of there and we'll see perhaps a glimpse of her past role. And I think seeing yeah. that, just becoming more educated when we look at these myths that we kind of think of now as, you know, as entertainment or just children's stories, it's important to look again at them and and just question them. Who do we have here? You know, do we see behavior in in these goddesses that appear to be just propaganda, but maybe there's something a little bit more. Maybe there's a glimpse of who they used to be Uh, because again, who they used to be, Central for us to move beyond where we are today. You know, uh, I could talk to you for another hour about all of this. Uh, I mean, so many different goddess myths, so many different places, uh, but we are really running out of time. So, um, Rachel, I want to give you the last word. Um, You know, is there anything else you want to share that I haven't had time to ask you about? I think we've touched a lot about it. But I do just want to say, uh, you know, we've talked so much about it that um, I'll just briefly mention it. But again, we should remember, right, that um, many of the religions or the spiritual belief systems or the philosophies that we've mentioned, they still are in in existence today. Um, All around the world, women are still often envisioning the highest form of spirituality in a male form. Um, or that males are especially um, able to achieve sort of this status. And this does affect um, women socially. Sexism still does exist around the world. Sexual harassment is still, of course, an issue, domestic violence, unequal pay, inequality in leadership positions. They're all common issues today. Um, And there are alternatives. You know, around the world, there are female-centered beliefs um, that still do exist. There is still the possibility for an individual, again, to just also maybe just slightly adjust their religious or spiritual beliefs, to add balance there, to just remember that females want sometimes ruled pantheons. Um, And I do believe that if we just do this, if some women, you know, take a moment to do this, that it will help women uh, on an individual level. It'll help us to know that women were shamans, they were priestesses, they were warriors, they were administrators, they, they were regents, queens. Uh, women were even pharaoh for a time um, because, you know, other issues, but also often directly because their society could imagine a woman in the highest role that humans can fathom, that of the divine role. Absolutely. And, you know, you make me think about Egypt, you know, and the goddess Isis, for instance, as one of them. You know, it was Isis who gave the pharaoh the right to rule. And here in Egypt, you had female pharaohs. That's a perfect example. While in India, um, you know, the goddesses became domesticated. And, uh, and that, you know, that gives license to men to domesticate women. You know, if it's good enough for a goddess, honey, it's good enough for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, Rachel, yes. (laughs) Go ahead. Well, it gives license also perhaps for women to believe that about themselves, and that's the true injustice. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rachel, I hope all my listeners um, will uh, will keep uh, a copy of this interview and share it with their women friends and teach it to their daughters and pick up your book, Goddess Lost. And if you want to know more about these sacred sites where all of these goddesses uh, were worshipped, pick up my book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. You'll learn more about this, where they were. I mean, the great companion books, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I, I just want to thank you so much. And, uh, and maybe later on in the year uh, you can come back and we can talk about some of your other books, uh, like uh, the one, uh, one with the long title. What was it? The um, <laughs> Legacy of the Goddess, Heroines, Warriors, and Witches from World Mythology. That sounds like a great one for us to continue this conversation, don't you think? I do, yes. <laughs> Okay, let's plan to do it, absolutely, because uh, I, I feel like this is really a service to women out there. Uh, it's a service to uh, the community, and it's really a service for men, too, because the structures that we're living under, uh, it isn't just um, bad for women. It's bad for a lot of men, too, and, um, yeah. you know, we man- need to manifest a new normal, and, you know, knowledge is how we do it. Yes, I agree entirely. Um, so, Rachel, if anybody wanted to reach you, um, uh, is there a way for them to ask you a question or invite you to come talk on their show? Um, what's the best way for them to find you? Yes, I do have a website. It is World Mythology, Nature, and the Goddess. It's all one word, World Mythology, Nature, and the Goddess. Um, and if you uh, just type, you know, whatever you would like into the contact. Um, section of the website, I will definitely get back to you. Okay. And if anybody has any problems reaching Rachel, reach out to me and I'll make an introduction because uh, this lady has got great stuff out there. And, um, you know, I believe it's in uh, service to women everywhere. Thank you, Rachel. Best of luck with this book. I hope it, like, zooms to bestseller status. <laughs> Thank you so much again for having me part of this show. Okay. Thank you for coming on. Bye for now. Bye-bye. So um, the reading I told you about earlier in the show by uh, my friend, the the genius writer, uh, Carol Dixon, uh, really just ties right into this show. And it's so interesting that she just published it, um, you know, recently, long after I'd had Rachel uh, scheduled to be on the show. And um, anyway, I just thought this was a wonderful essay on her blog, which is called uh, The Pea Ridge Post. And uh, so I'll just get into it before we run out of time. So it's titled Vacuum, you know, like as in your vacuum cleaner, Vacuum or Sky Gods? Question mark. And uh, this is how it goes. Is it time to vacuum, asks the devil, or to write, invites the ace of pentacles. How do I decide? Justice pokes their blade into the room, entering with the hierophant. Hierophant tells me, you you underestimate us. We are not asking you to comply with a standard set of rules. Instead, we want you to examine where the rules come from. Justice pipes in. You invited us all in when you asked for help making a decision of whether to write or clean house and vacuum. Oh, Justice, I beg, cut the tethers to housework. My imagination is on fire. I want to take the invitation to tangibly explore these ideas I'm having. I ask whether to clean or write, and three major wisdom keepers show up, this hierophant and devil. Devil is calling for me to do chores. Devil says, I want you to keep a better house. Your mess is overrunning you. You really need to devote more time to it. 
the Ace of Pentacles pops up to say, I know you want to discover how the influx of the Sky God's myths were the beginning of this recent 7,000-year fallout of natural cycles of humankind into acrimonious and out-of-balance ways of living. During this time, myths began justifying the exploitation of others by codifying oppression and demonization into written law and myths, the original big lie. When art went from depicting an ongoing equitable relationship between sky and earth deities, a new story began to be told of sky gods demanding work in obedience. The very structure of villages and cities began changing, reflecting a population whose dwellings were no longer all the same size. We have discovered archaeological sites predating the grander cities of the Fertile Crescent, showing thousands of years of habitation, cultivating grains, animal husbandry, with equitable distribution of space and wealth and resources. Once the Sky God stories begin to be told, the evidence of ancient villages show an unequal distribution of resources and space. A popular story or myth tone thousands of years later fashions a story of the ancient Sumerians. From Sumerian tablets dating from about 1000 BC, there are claims that humankind did not evolve naturally, but were genetically engineered into more than mere hominids. These stories tell of sky gods coming to Earth, enslaving humans to do their work of mining precious metals. Some humans were elevated to God status and became kings. They were entitled to all the resources. Communities were forced to give over what was collectively theirs, the crops, the water, their trades, so the sky gods and their representatives could redistribute resources to themselves, giving themselves and their families more power, wealth, living space, and food, while exploiting, enslaving, and oppressing people, animals, and the earth herself. This power over others, a gift, gift from these sky gods, began appearing about 4000 BC in human records, began poisoning the world views of Samaria, Acadia, the Indu Valley, and Egypt. This exploitive relationship with the planet and her inhabitants, now complete with an all-powerful sky god, now dominate most of the world. These takeovers came from men riding horses with metal implements, not spacemen. Sons and husbands of ancient populations were killed and women were dominated. Entire populations assimilated these war overlords, not by choice, but necessity. Since these stories began, artifacts of women's power of creation became diminished in the eyes of civilization, and their power to create was assigned elsewhere. The intruders regulated the goddess to tend what was broken, to bring back to life those traumatized by invasions, wars, exploitation, and abuse. This constant revival of broken souls became the work of women, breaking her relationship to social power. The goddess, subservient to the needs of the damaged, could no longer attend the needs of larger society. In the last 7,000 more years, hundreds of thousands years of society shifted from sustainable, regenerative relationships with the environment to societies characterized by extraction and exploitation of resources, animals, and plant life. Money was introduced, separating people from their own resources, giving strangers power over everyone's daily lives. From this time on, we have documentation of a society that became stratified in wealth and resources, culture wars. We have accelerated ecological ruin with the simple linear worldview that the earth is to be dominated. We see cultures learning the lessons of domination and demonization, learning to subjugate others as was done to them, setting off 
thousands of generations of trauma in society. The entire ecosystem of the planet now nears cataclysmic change, patterns of raping the earth and her inhabitants, which began over 7,000 years ago in the cradles of civilization, Sumeria, Mesopotamia, and Egypt have traveled. These ecological patterns of non-sustainable lifestyles are closely aligned with how all major civilizations live on this planet. The story of the sky gods, their need for metal, and their subjugation of others created a world of riches and unsustainable path to collapse. In a strange twist of meanings, it has become a holy task through the ages to sacrifice oneself to the ideals of the sky gods, which thereby fulfills the needs of dangerous, violent men. Fuck that shit. The rain pours from the sky in an uncharacteristic summer storm. The sky cries from its dissociation from the earth, wishing to console their consort from the continuous raping from the fake sky gods. Me, devil, justice, and the hierophant all stare at the ace of pentacles. Justice says, the storm decided you ought to write. Hierophant adds, aren't you glad I showed up and made you access your beliefs? The devil chimed in, you still need to clean the refrigerator. Another archetype strides in the room as we make ready to disperse. It is the high priestess. She holds a large luminescent egg containing the void. She walks directly to me and hands me the egg. I think you should curl up in a ball, shut your eyes, and go into dreamland while holding this egg. It contains the void where all the dark matter and energy collaborate with all the stories to create what is to come. After you do that, then you can dance with the devil, do your chores, and catch up to linear time. For now... Let your research and your imagination go. Let the egg have all these thoughts, give these ideas, have their own sovereignty, and stop trying to bend them to your own means. Then I woke up. So if you enjoyed that, um, pop me an email. I will pass it along to Carol Dixon. And... um, I apologize for a few uh, random words I threw in there. I just couldn't help myself. She had me, she had me going on a rant. But uh, I just love her writing, and this one is just so incredible. It's like, um, are we going to, you know, uh, be under the boot of domestication, or are we going to expand our minds and understand what's going on in the world and why? And uh, we were just thinking, what a great play this was make. Uh, We could see all of these archetypal um, female images mostly uh, having this conversation with Carol as she struggles with uh, the the pressure to go vacuum the house or, you know, getting uh, all of these thoughts out of her mind and onto paper so that she can share them with, with the rest of the world and teach. So thank you, Carol Dixon. Thank you for your writing, and thank you for letting me share this on the show. Um, and uh, her her post is at P. Ridge Post, P-E-A Ridge Post. And um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as uh, as I did. So uh, that is about it for me today, folks. Um, The show uh, ran just a little bit long, but not too much. Uh, But I meant it when I said earlier, uh, please do uh, consider saving this link and sharing it with your friends. Share it around social media. There are way too many people that don't know this information. And uh, it's important if we want a better world that uh, we use our knowledge as power and uh, we realize that things have not always been this way. Uh, We are normalizing abuse and exploitation, as I say in my new book that that, uh, just came out a few months ago. Um, I hope you'll look for it as well uh, at my website, karentate.net. Find the sacred 
Places of Goddess book there, the Normalizing Abuse there. And if you're new to Goddess Spirituality, there are other books there too that um, uh, teach you about Goddess and why she's relevant and why you might want to incorporate her uh, into your um, into your life, into your spirituality, into your worldview. All right. Uh, so until next week, I will uh, close with uh, one of my um, one of the quotes that I love. And um, they say the author to this is unknown, although it is attributed to some people. We're not sure of the accuracy of that. Um, and it goes like this: First, they ignore you then they laugh at you, then they attack you, then you win. Yeah, I think uh, what we've been talking about today is kind of a lot like that. Maybe when some people who are threatened by this information first hear it, first they ignore us, then maybe they laugh at us, then maybe they attack us for these ideas because they realize, you know, these ideas are valuable. These could change the world and make it a better place. And you know what? If we keep talking about this stuff, then we win. All right. Thanks, guys. Come back next Wednesday. Bye for now.